Praise the Lord, everyone. I know you sound warm or something. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, amen. You can tell it's Memorial Day weekend. Got some folks at Hickory Run. For those of you who are going to listen to the sermon throughout the week, hello to those at Hickory Run. We'll be in uh, Psalm 3 today, so if you have a scripture or Bible, Bible app, please turn there. It'll be on the screen as well. Last week, Amy and I were away. We went up to Warren, which is Amy's hometown, to be with family. So I was not here to uh, hear Recap preach, our guest preacher. Uh, Pastor Larry wanted me to meet him. We met once, but he wanted me to hang out with him and uh, his friend Ike and Augie. And so we had planned to uh, get together at Michael's, which is right across from Arcadia University, for breakfast. This, This was on Monday. So Pastor Larry and I arrived early. We're just hanging out. I said, so, uh, Pastor Larry, how did things go on Sunday? Oh, it was great. Recap was wonderful. He really preached well. I said, well, what did he preach on? Uh, He said, Pastor Larry's like, Psalm 103. And I thought to myself, that is exactly what I was going to preach on today. And I had already done work. I had already done, I had my outline. Once I have my outline, I know I'm in pretty good shape. Um, So obviously the Lord had different things for us today. But what I will say about that is, if the Lord's putting Psalm 103 on Recap's heart, and he's putting it on my heart, and you've already heard it, that means he is, I think he's speaking to us. I think he's saying, I want you to pay uh, particular attention to what Recap preached on last week. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. So, I don't want us to just kind of skip over that. Go back to Psalm 103, and let's make it our meditation. But today, we will be in Psalm 3. Pastor Larry and I thought, well, maybe I should preach on Psalm 103 again. I decided against that. Instead, uh, I was saying, Lord, what do you want me to preach on? And I think he wants us to be in Psalm 3. Uh, The Psalms, as Recap did such a great job. I did listen to his sermon online. He did such a great job of saying that the Psalms are all about preaching our emotions. They're about bringing our heart to the Lord. They're not primarily an intellectual exercise, although there's plenty of things to think about. The Psalms engage our hearts. And the Lord is trying to say to us today, are you bringing your your whole heart to me in prayer? I'd like to start with a quote. It's from... Uh, Tremper Longman, who was one of my professors, one of Pastor Larry's professors, let me read this quote because I think it's very helpful. One looks into a physical mirror to see how one is doing on the outside. When one reads a psalm like a mirror identifying with the psalmist, then one discovers how one is doing on the inside. Are we moving towards God or away from him? Even when a psalm expresses an emotion that does not reflect where we are emotionally or spiritually, the experience still helps us understand ourselves better. Through reading the psalms, we come to understand our thoughts and our feelings better. I think that is a wonderful introduction into the psalms. God, Pastor Larry has been calling us to fervent prayer. It is obvious that God wants us to learn more and more about prayer. And today, we will talk about bringing our hearts and our emotions to him. So let's stand and let's read this scripture together. Psalm 3. 
it begins with an introduction. Let me read that first. This is a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now reading together. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid. Many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on people. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence wanting to know more about you, Lord Jesus. We want to know more about your salvation that you have prepared for us, and Holy Spirit, we want your companionship during this time. Lord, may the meditation of my heart, the words of my lips, may they be pleasing in your sight, my rock and my Savior, my fortress. Lord, I pray that you would move our hearts, that our hearts and our minds would be in tune to what you have for us right now. So anoint us with your Holy Spirit. Give us ears that can hear. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There is uh, an outline on the back of the bulletin. You can take notes if you would like. The main idea behind this sermon is that salvation belongs to the Lord, but heartfelt prayer belongs to us. We have to put everything in its proper place. Salvation does not belong to us. It belongs to the Lord and whenever he wants to give it. But heartfelt prayer belongs to us. I want to talk today, if you look at the outline, we're going to talk about the battle that David was facing, which encourages us to reflect on the battle that we may be experiencing in our lives. And then I will talk about three keys to victory. Seek salvation from God and nowhere else. Rest in God's salvation timetables and cry out for God's salvation. But first, let's talk about the battle. Uh, This is the first psalm with a title, and I I read that title for you. It's one of 14 psalms that are linked to an actual historical event in the life of David. This one is about when he was fleeing from his son, Absalom. Absalom is the the third son of David. His mother was a foreigner, Maacah. She was the daughter of Talmai, who was the king of Geshur. You can see all of this historical events if you turn to 2 Samuel 13 and 17. You don't have to do that now, but I would encourage you to go back and look at all the details and the history behind this psalm. In a nutshell, Absalom conspires against his father, King David, turns the people of Israel against David. It gets so bad that David has to flee the city of Jerusalem to spare and protect his own life. And all of this happens because of major family issues that David refused to deal with. Absalom had a beautiful sister. Her her name was Tamar. And another one of David's sons, Abnon, he he drew an affection towards Tamar. He started to look upon her lustfully, and he forced himself upon her 
after dishonoring Tamar, Abnon refused to marry her. And David, when he hears this, he does get angry, but he chooses to do nothing besides his anger. Absalom waits two years, plotting his revenge against his half-brother. And eventually, he, he kills Abnon. And again, David does nothing. No justice. Eventually, this all leads to Absalom leading this revolt, as I have said, kicking David out of Jerusalem, David's men warring against Absalom and his forces, and the eventual death of David's son, Absalom. And right in the midst of all of this craziness, David prays Psalm 3. How many are my foes? How many are rising against me? They are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. This psalm, as I said, teaches us how to pray with emotion, with heartfelt prayer, especially as we're facing overwhelming odds against us. When we feel surrounded by our enemies. Do you know what it feels like to be surrounded by your enemies? There, this is particularly helpful when dealing with family strife. Who knows some family problems? How many fathers of you are a little bit like David? We have failed our children. I'll raise my hand. I'll be honest. Many of us do. How many sons or daughters feel sometimes some which way about your parents? How many feel rebellious spirit that often rises up? This is a wonderful psalm, very practical psalm that helps us deal with all of our conflicts but especially when we're dealing with family strife. You know, David's battle was real. These were real, literal people, thousands of people trying to kill him. Ancient Near Eastern kings, somebody was always trying to kill them. I remember when Amy and I went to Israel, and we went into the old city, and we went to the Tower of David. It's this fortress, and in it is a museum. And as you go into the museum... The only thing it talks about is how many times the city of Jerusalem was conquered by some kind of foreign nation, destroyed, rebuilt, destroyed, rebuilt, destroyed, and rebuilt, and so it goes. So many times, so many dynasties came in and out. These were actual people coming against David to kill him. And I doubt very much any of us has ever had the experience of thousands of literal people trying to kill us. But that's okay. There are plenty of forces in this world that would try to destroy us. As theologians say, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the political and economic forces of this nation and other nations. Is there any doubt in our minds at this point that are the leaders of this nation, do you really think that they have our best interests at heart? I'm sure some do, but as a whole, they are not interested in us. The world is going to terrorism. All these things try to destroy us. The flesh, this sinful part of us that still, still tries to conquer us, warring against us, and then finally the devil. I think, I think it's quite possible there are hundreds of evil angelic forces coming against us, maybe thousands. We don't know. We can't see into the heavenly realms. But if we did, I think we would be stunned. You know what that feels like, right? You know what this feels like to be surrounded by your spiritual enemies. And sometimes 
your physical enemies. And what do they say to you? What do they say? How do they tempt your heart? There is no salvation for him. There is no salvation for her. There is no salvation for you. How many times have you had that ringing in your ear? That is the enemy trying to destroy you. I personally think it's one of the biggest threats of the enemy. They were saying of King David, there is no salvation for him. Right? They're saying he's no longer king. God no longer loves him. And he was tempted to think that. How many times have you been tempted as David was tempted? What is the biggest threat that you are currently experiencing? What are the overwhelming circumstances in your life, especially within your family? You know, you've heard about Unbound Prayer before Pastor Larry has talked about it. We have a prayer team called Unbound Prayer. I won't get into a lot of the details, but if you're fairly new to this church, you want to know what it is, you can go to the website. There's a link towards the bottom on the left. It says Unbound Prayer. You can download a two-page summary of the ministry. But as we're praying for people, as we're interviewing them, we often say to them, tell me about your relationship with your mother or your father. What was it like growing up in your home? What was it like with your siblings? Because what we know as we're doing this prayer, as people come to be delivered, we know that our parents didn't make us sinners. We were born that way. But our family gives shape to our sin. If I was in a different family, I would have a different, I would struggle with different sin patterns. There's no doubt in my mind. And then there's emotionally healthy spirituality. You're beginning to hear this. Will we, it's a discipleship course. We will be preaching on it in the fall. In fact, our launch date is September 22nd. And in emotionally healthy spirituality, they do this thing called a genogram. It's basically the family tree. And where are all the good things, but where are all the tensions in your family tree? Where's the conflict? Where, are you, where may you be enmeshed with another person in your family? Is there abuse? Is there divorce? Is there separation? Because one of the things that emotionally healthy spirituality knows, our family has a huge impact on our lives. It did for David, right? It got so bad, it almost cost him his life. King David was a mess of a father. And his children were a hot mess. They were. And it's all in the scriptures for us to read. Even so, David is described as a man after God's own heart. Maybe it's that way because, and maybe he's described that way because he brought all of this hot mess to Jesus in prayer. To the Lord in prayer. David prays everything, and he prays it with passion. Always heartfelt prayer as you go into the Psalms of David. So that's the battle. That's the battle David faced. That's the battle that we face on a regular basis. So now, the keys of victory. The first key is seek salvation from God and nowhere else. Now, that seems fairly obvious, doesn't it? Until we are surrounded by our enemy. Until he is whispering in our ear and we are under attack. At that point, it seems that all reason and faith go out the window. 
Look at the beginning of verse 3. There's this one little word, one of my favorite words in the Bible. It says, there is no salvation for him, but. But. It's a great word. It means something is happening, but something different is about to happen. There is no salvation for David, is what people are saying. But, David says, you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. David, in New Testament terms, is beginning to preach the gospel to himself. He's beginning to preach what he knows to be true. He looks around and what does he see? Forces around him, the enemy trying to attack him, his own very son trying to kill him. But you, O Lord, but you, O Lord, are with me. You are a shield about me. Now, that shield, there's many types of shields in the ancient Near Eastern world. The ones that we're most familiar with are the smaller shields that a a soldier would hold up, sword in one hand, shield in the other, hand-to-hand combat, right? That makes sense. This is not that kind of shield. This is the kind of shield that was almost, it was as tall as a man, and it wrapped around the soldier. This kind of shield was an offensive kind of shield. It was used as they were storming the fortress. As they were storming the fortress, they had archers on the walls, all these arrows coming toward them. They needed a complete shield about them. That is what the Lord is for David. That is what the Lord is for us. A shield all around us. But it only works if we go forward. It only works if it's on the offensive. You turn around, you're vulnerable. You're going, moving forward, you're okay. The Lord is a shield about us. And then he says, my glory, and the lifter of my head. My glory, the Hebrew word kavod. Again, one of my favorite words. It, it literally means heavy, weighty. It can mean um, riches. It stands for the things that are important to us. It stands for the things that are are weighty in our lives. It stands for the things that matter. We have it right here on the banner because you matter. You are important to God. God is our glory. And when it's used to describe God, it means his glorious presence. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory. Now, I did a dangerous thing. I listened to a sermon by Tim Keller on Psalm 3 before I was about to pray on Psalm 3. And already I've taken a couple ideas from him, but I didn't know I was going to preach on Psalm 3, so Amy and I were listening to his sermon, Uh, but the Lord knew. And sometimes, to be honest with you, I think we quote Tim Keller too much. We love Tim Keller, I get it. And I'm always quoting, you know, name drop Tim Keller, name drop Tim Keller. I get it, he's a wonderful preacher. But I have to take this one from Tim Keller. He says in this, in this scripture that when David says, my glory, what he's doing is relocating his glory to God. He's turning his glory away from other things that might seem important to him, but he's relocating his glory to God. Does that make sense? That, that's just too good. I had to take that one from Tim Keller. What are the weighty things in your life, the things that matter to you the most? Your family, your friends, your job, your reputation, money and riches, Philly sports teams. What is your glory? 
Is it the Lord? The scripture says all worshipers of images are put to shame, those who make their boast in worthless idols. We all know when things get tough for us, we turn our glory away from the Lord. We look for other alternative glories. These things that are good, they can be good in themselves, but they're not good enough to save you. Salvation belongs to the Lord and to Him only. Are you having challenges in your family? Look to the Lord. Relocate your glory away from your family, as David did, and put it where it belongs. Put your eyes upon the Lord. David is fixing his eyes in prayer on what matters the most, God's glory. Not his kingship, not his safety, certainly not his family. God is his glory and the lifter of his head. The lifter of his head. Think about that. If you look to 2 Samuel 15.30, you'll see how David went out of the city. He left the city barefoot. He left the city with his head covered and his head back down. He left in shame. Even his very posture was a posture of shame. There was this guy, and then there was, I can't even believe this, then there was this guy named Shimei. He was from the house of Saul. There was no love lost between the house of Saul and the house of David. As David is going out of the city, Shimei is there saying, cursing David. He's leaving barefoot. He's leaving with his head already down, and here's Shimei saying, cursing, and he's throwing rocks at David. He's calling him a worthless man. And Abishai, one of David's soldiers, says, let me go over there and lop off this guy's head. That sounds pretty good to me. If I was leaving in shame, I would want one of my soldiers to say the very same thing. And that, but this is what David says. He says, leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me, and he will repay with good for this cursing today. I have a story, and this is what popped into my mind as I was preparing, as I was thinking of the lifter of my head. I had this story about Little League Baseball and my father. It just popped into my head. I was, there was a brief moment in time when I was pretty good at Little League Baseball. But there was this moment when I could not hit the ball to save my life. And my head was down. I even felt somewhat shame. You know how hard uh, little kids can be towards each other. You know, Tim can't, can't hit anymore, man. He was good one time. Can't hit anymore. I was in shame. To, to a little guy playing Little League Baseball, this is, this is it. There's nothing else. But my father, who was a coach, he wasn't our coach, but he was a coach. He was an umpire. My dad knew a lot about baseball. He took me in the backyard He's like, your stance is wrong. So I fixed my stance. He's like, you've got to keep your elbow up. And here's the thing, Tim. Here's the thing. You've got to watch the ball all the way into the bat. And so we practiced in my backyard over and over again. He was trying to say to me, put your head up, son. And then there came this magical moment. I am not making this up. I am not making this up for the purpose of the sermon. It was in. It was the bottom. It was the bottom of the seventh. Do they still? We played seven. Do they still play seven? Seven innings. How many innings they play? They play six. We played seven. It was old school stuff. We played seven. It was the bottom of the seventh. Two outs. We were down by a run. Who comes up to bat? It got to be me. Remember what my dad said. Watch the ball. 
single, scored two runs. They were on the way. We won the game. I won the game. That is worthy of a hallelujah. Thank you, sister. And I still remember walking over to my coach, and he put him out of his hand. He's like, yes, Bathurst, man, way to go. But that wasn't even, I was looking for my father. I looked over to my father. He was beaming a smile that I will not, I have never forgotten. I'm getting all choked up even talking about it. He just gave me a hug, man. He lifted my head. This is Little League Baseball, and I am getting all choked up. What about the Lord? What about what he says to David? David, I have not forgotten you. They say there is no salvation, but salvation belongs to me, David. Lift your head. The lifter of the head, he's the one that says, like my father, lift your head up. There's nothing to be ashamed about. You're going to experience trials in this world. Son, lift your head. Puff out your chest. This is our stance before the Lord because he is the lifter of our heads. And then he cried aloud, David cried aloud to the holy hill. Now the holy hill, what is that? That's Mount Zion. It's the place at the time of David where they had the the tabernacle. The tabernacle, a a tent housing the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a symbolic throne of God representing his presence on earth. Mount Zion was the eventual place of the temple. And most importantly, it was the place of sacrifice. So David, in the midst of being surrounded by all of his enemies, remembers that there is a sacrifice for sins. He knows. He knows that his sins were paid for. Now, we know way more than David does, right? We know all of those sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament. We know what that's about, right? It's about the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And God is saying, that is where my salvation is. That is why you know salvation is guaranteed because of Jesus. This is what Hebrews 9 says. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, Then through the greater and more perfect tent, the tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by the means of bloods of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if goats, the blood of goats and bulls, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Seek salvation from God and nowhere else. Seek salvation from God in his perfect sacrifice for you. The next step, the next key to victory is rest in God's salvation timetable. After David prays all these things, he says, I lay down and slept. God gave him sweet sleep, and he woke because God sustained him. David sleeps like a baby, but notice he hasn't been delivered yet. There are thousands still surrounding him, and it doesn't matter. His mind and heart have been put to rest with the knowledge that salvation belongs to the Lord. And now 
he waits. One of the things the Lord has been saying to me over and over again is, Tim, wait for me. Wait for my salvation. He keeps bringing me up over and over again. I've memorized some scriptures. It just keeps coming up over and over again. I think that's what he is saying to us as well. You must wait for my salvation timetable. You may be struggling. Maybe you're struggling with family members. Maybe you're struggling with deep personal friends, and all of a sudden you're Relationship is in conflict. I don't know. But the Lord says, wait for my salvation timetable. There are a few of scriptures that come to mind. Psalm 62, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. And then one of my favorites, Lamentations 5. For the Lord is good to those who wait for him, for the soul that seeks him. It is good that one waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It is good that a man bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. It was a heavy yoke upon David. But God says to David, wait silently for the patience of the Lord. Yes, my yoke has been put upon you. It is good that you should wait silently for my salvation. Psalm 25, 5, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. And then Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. David prays, and he knows God will answer. And so he waits. And then the final key to victory, cry out for God's salvation. Cry out for God's salvation. Verse 4 says, I cried out to the Lord. And now arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. Cry out to the Lord. You know, we need to up our prayer game here at New Life Church. Pastor Larry's been calling it from us. He's been calling us to fervent prayer. Last week, Pastor Recap called us to emotional prayer. Today, I am referring to it as heartfelt prayer. Jack Miller, who was the founder of the original New Life Church, used to talk about boring the angels with our prayers. It always bugged me when he said it. I've heard him say it a couple times. Are you boring the angels with your prayers? It bugged me because I just knew it was true of my prayer life. But I also felt like, well, what what do I do about it? If I try to muster it up, it feels like I'm performing. It feels like I'm make-believing. I'm pretending. What do I do? David, we must say, is never boring in prayer, right? He cries aloud. He's honest in his prayers. He even says in this prayer, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. That's an honest prayer. That is not a boring prayer. That is not. The angels are, are on the edge of their seats wondering what's going to happen with David. It's even a little bit uncomfortable to break the teeth. That is, that is a strong image. He is not boring in prayer. He says, I cried aloud to the Lord. Save me. Hear my cry. In emotionally healthy spirituality, I'm learning about expectations. He says, we get into trouble in our relationships when we have unspoken and unrealistic expectations of others. And I, I was realizing that I had an unspoken expectation with you. 
the congregation as I preach. Here, so I'm going to speak it. We'll, dis- we'll discern together if it's realistic or not. I have an expectation that when I preach, thank you, Ben, I appreciate it. Uh, I have an expectation when I preach that you'll, you'll come back at me verbally a little bit. I've always had that expectation. I just have never spoken it till today. Is that unrealistic? I don't think so. I don't have the expectation that every single one of you is going to do that. But I have had conversations with people who say, you know, I want to say in my heart, amen. I want to say in my heart, hallelujah, when you're preaching or Pastor Larry is preaching. But I don't do it. I said, well, why don't you do it? I'm afraid that I'm just going to be a distraction to somebody. My expectation is if the Lord stirs that up in your spirit, that you will speak it back to me. And I think that's that's okay. I think that's realistic. I'm not telling you that you have to do something that you're uncomfortable with. I'm going to leave this in the Lord's hands. But I will say this. Amy and I have this running debate about this phrase. Fake it till you make it. Amy says, I, I hate that. I hate everything about it. Don't mention it again in my presence. I think there's some good things about it. When I was in sales, in real estate, uh, salespeople say it all the time. Fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. Be something, act like something until you are actually something. I think there's some problems because in real estate, fake it till you make it means you're buying clothes you can't afford. You're leasing cars that you can't afford. That's not the kind of faking I'm talking about. I'm talking about trying on something. I'm talking about trying on an emotional thing like amen. I'm, ta- I'm talking about trying on something. Priscilla Strap uh, is the one that always says about ima- our imagination. Use your imagination. It's like a muscle that we often don't use. We use our mind a lot, but sometimes not our imagination. Sometimes we use our mind a lot, but not our emotions. I'm saying try on some new emotions. See what they feel like. Exercise a muscle that and maybe you're comfortable praying. I've heard one person say, I'm comfortable praying my sadness to God. I'm comfortable praying my joy to God. But what about your anger? David says, I want you to strike the teeth, smack the face of my enemy and, and crush his teeth. How about that one? Trying that one on for size. I'm going to let that between you and the Lord. I'm just speaking now my expectations as one of your pastors. I think the Lord is calling us to something. I think the Lord is calling us to something new. I think he is calling us to heartfelt prayer. I think he's saying, I don't think this is what happened. Heavenly Father, I cry out to you. Heavenly Father, heal me. Heavenly Father, There's a a place for that. I cry out to the Lord. Save me, Lord. Look at my family. Look at what my son is trying to do to me. He is trying to kill me. Look at the failures of my own heart. I am a failure as a father, Lord. Bring salvation to me. Salvation belongs to you, O Lord, and to you only. You are the glory and the lifter of my head. Bring me back, Lord. I feel ashamed, but lift my head. May I have the pride of knowing that you are my Father in heaven. I think that's what God has challenged us to do. It's going to be uncomfortable for many of us. But God says, cry out to me for your salvation. The battle is raging against us. 
There are keys to victory. Seek salvation from God and nowhere else. Rest in God's salvation timetables. Wait upon his salvation and cry out for God's salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord, yes. But our victory is guaranteed. Our salvation is secure because there was another king kicked out of Jerusalem. His name is Jesus. He was crucified outside the city gates for your sin. He went not because of his own sin. He was in shame on the cross, not because of his own shame. He was on the shame came from the shame of our sin, and it was laid upon Jesus Christ on the cross. And he turned his eyes to his father. Unlike David, he wasn't suffering for his own sins, but for ours. And in shame, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried out in heartfelt prayer to Abba, Father. And in the moment of his agony, God turned his back on him and poured the wrath that we deserve upon him. This Jesus, our Savior, looked to his God for salvation. He located his glory in the will of his heavenly Father. He cried aloud for salvation, but waited upon God's perfect salvation timing. That time came when Jesus was raised on the third day to glorious victory, and he gives this victory to you. You may be surrounded today, but the salvation is yours. It is guaranteed in Jesus Christ. The battle may rage, but ours is the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you get a chance now to practice. Stand on up. Cry out, hallelujah. Cry out, amen. I just would encourage you to pray out any way you want, any way that the Lord is leading you. Praise Him. Give Him glory. For the salvation belongs to the Lord and nowhere else. I'll invite the prayer team to come forward. Ask the prayer team to come forward. Let's sing together. Let's sing our hallelujahs and our amens to the Lord. So 